Hi, I'm Melina Morrison, CEO of the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. Welcome to the Cooperative Farming podcast series. Cooperative farming is designed to support farmers, fishers and foresters through the formation and the growth of their farming co-ops. Today, Doriana Mangili, Business Manager of the Sweeter Banana Cooperative in Carnarvon in Western Australia. This is a story that demonstrates that ingenuity will get you a long way even in the toughest of conditions and most competitive environments if you believe in what you do and stick together. Yeah, they say necessity is the mother of all invention and getting farmers to work together, it's not a natural thing. But when disaster strikes and, you know, you can't see another way out, people become very innovative and look at new ways of different things. This is a warts and all story of turning negatives into winning points of difference. But for me, the really powerful part of this story is the human spirit in tough times coming together to help each other. Here's our host, renowned agricultural journalist, Pete Lewis. Enjoy. Now we're joined by a farmer who's about as passionate about bananas and adding value to primary production as anyone can be. Doriana Mangili is the sweeter banana business manager right up there at Carnarvon in Western Australia. She's got a great story to tell about their innovative cooperative. The Sweeter Banana Cooperative is based in Carnarvon, as I said, about halfway up the WA coastline. It's on the remote part of that coastline, famous for its uh, fresh produce and great weather. Uh, and despite its geographic isolation and occasionally uncooperative weather, which we'll talk about in a moment, this group of family farmers managed to change the way we think about buying bananas, not only pioneering the lunchbox banana, but remaining profitable by sticking together and thinking differently. We're going to hear all about it. Doriana, Buonasera, Comesta, and welcome to Cooperative Conversations. Thank you. Great to be here. The Sweeter Banana Co-op was formed in 1993 to develop a brand that would be easily recognisable by consumers. Tell us what your co-op does and and, uh, why did it start? Well, the Sweet Banana Co-op was really formed to create a brand and market our beautiful little sweeter Carnarvon bananas. And we pack, we market and we grow bananas here in Carnarvon and distribute them across Western Australia. Tell us about how it is distinctive. What is it about the banana? Is it a genetically modified banana or is it a, a particular genus type? How does it differ from the traditional, I guess, the most popular bananas in the country that most people would see on a day-to-day basis, the uh, Cavendish? It's, um, it's a good question. It's exactly the same banana. It's a, still a Cavendish. The difference with our bananas is uh, really our climate. So we're subtropical. Bananas love tropical weather, constant heat, humidity. Here in Carnarvon, we're on the edge of the desert. We're on the coast. Um, we have very low rainfall. We have colder nights in winter. We have warmer nights in warmer days in summer. So it can be quite hot and then it can be quite cold. So our climate is pretty unfriendly for bananas. However, that means they grow very slowly. So a tropical banana will take seven to nine months to grow. Ours will take about 14 to 18. We end up with a a much smaller banana, 
but it's very sweet. It's very creamy. It doesn't have a starchiness sort of taste. It's got a lovely banana flavor. And because of our isolation, we're literally in the middle of the desert, 500 k's to the next town to the south. You know, there's not a lot of other industry around us. So we're very um, protected from insects, pests and disease. So we don't need to use any sprays. So we don't use pesticides, insecticides or fungicides. So it's a really niche little product. It's very different. And yeah, that's what's so special. And they taste amazing. You talk about the sort of the geography of the place. The Gascoigne River is a mighty river when it's in flood, but it doesn't flood all that often, does it? No, about once once a year the river runs, maybe once every two years. We're happy if we get a river flow every two years, we have enough irrigation water to carry us through for the next two years. But anyone driving across our meter, uh, 12 metre high bridge will wonder why it's there when they're looking at a, a riverbed of sand. But when it flows, it really does flow. So it can get right up to underneath that bridge. Now, one of the themes that's really emerged from this series over the past few episodes is that more often than not, co-ops grow out of crisis. It pressure seems to make diamonds for a lot of uh, farmers in Australia. How has adversity uh, helped create the impetus for and in turn strengthen your co-op? Uh, well, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, they say necessity is the mother of all invention and getting farmers to work together, it's not a natural thing. But when disaster strikes and, you know, you can't see another way out, people become very innovative and look at new ways of different things. So back in the uh, 1990s, when the industry was doing very badly, the competition from the larger tropical banana coming into Western Australia, uh, supermarkets were starting to buy that in preference to our smaller ones. Because we grow them close together, we had a lot of skin markings on the skin from the leaves. That was impacting consumers or and retail buyers' choices. And so basically, we weren't um, able to compete with that larger banana and our growers were basically losing money. So they were just growing bananas and selling them uh, for less than the cost of production. And as we all know, in horticulture, you're a price taker to some extent. You don't get to add on your margin. You get whatever the market um, says determines your product is worth and supply and demand. And there was there was very, very little demand for our bananas. So it was pretty much the industry would have probably been on its knees and just about ended when the growers got together. And in a sense, you were ahead of the curve in terms of trying to explain to consumers that although they do come in all types of shapes and sizes and occasionally uh, take a bit of a hiding on the outside, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the fruit inside. Uh, and it's a, tough, it's a tough thing to sell, but you made that your strength. You, you differentiated yourself with the smaller product and with one that, you know, mightn't have been what people regard as absolutely perfect. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, in the in the initial days when uh, the growers got together, they decided that the best course of action was to try and grow bigger bananas. So at that point, a third of the bunch was being chopped off in the paddock to try and make those bananas fill out and grow bigger. Another third of the bunch was being um, was being discarded in the packing shed because it still wasn't up to standard. And then the final third, which was a bit that got packed, was sold at below the cost of production. So they really had to sit down and say, well, we can't compete with them on that level with this big larger banana why don't we promote what's different uh, what you know what makes our banana so special and that's how the lunchbox banana came about that it was actually uh, small enough to fit in a child's lunchbox and make that the selling point rather than trying to compete with something that we really couldn't compete with that wasn't viable uh, look in industry terms uh, bananas are the most popular fruit on the australian market the the, the, the business is worth somewhere in the vicinity of $600 million a year, 400 
thousand tons in a pretty good year, and ninety four percent, as you said, of, of bananas are grown uh, in the state of Queensland. You've been able to create with that small niche market, however, a very sustainable business for your co-op. Yeah, we've invested a lot in the marketing. Branding obviously was really important, improving the quality and getting the customer perceptions of quality and addressing those things, educating consumers. So we do a lot of face-to-face stuff at places like the Royal Show, in-store taste demonstrations, lots of marketing, really getting that message across. And and it's been quite successful. So we do have now a very loyal following of people uh, that only buy our bananas and people that I meet time again, time again in stores who say, oh, I met you at the show and we tried your banana for the first time and now it's the only one I buy. So yeah, it's been a lot of investment, but um, obviously West Australians are very parochial as well. So being able to let people know that this is a, a West Australian banana and helps people to make that choice. So it's been a, a big journey, but uh, it's a lot of investment into marketing. And yeah, as you said, when we started doing that, uh, there wasn't a lot of branding, there wasn't a lot of marketing in fruit and vegetables. It, uh, it, was, it was very much a commodity market. And we saw from the very outset that we needed to make ourselves different to be out of that commodity space and into a space where people were searching out our product. Was there a fair old shakeout of growers from back 30 years ago when uh, when you really hit the crunch? Are they the same people in your industry? Have you had a, a flush of, of new growers and new blood into the business over that time or have there been a lot of people who just hung in? Uh, We have uh, a mixture. So we have in our cooperative, we actually manage two farms of our founding members who have retired from the industry. They didn't want to keep growing, but they wanted to keep the bananas in the cooperative. So we run those farms ourselves. We have a number of new entrants to the industry and I was one of them back in 2005. And I guess for me, as somebody who hadn't come from the banana industry, being able to go into a cooperative meant that I could go into a whole new industry, farming, and be supported by an entity that was going to help me grow. And obviously in a cooperative, it's in everybody's interest that everybody does well so there's a lot of help so if you just walked into town and bought a tomato farm pretty much nobody's going to come and help you tell you what the best thing is because they're going to think that perhaps you're competing with them whereas in a cooperative everyone wants you to do a good job because it's all about strengthening the co-op so um so we have new entrants we've got some founding members and we've got some people that retired obviously not everybody's in the cooperative so when we started the cooperative everyone came in 50 members and as the co-op progressed and it became more serious you ended up with a quite a few diverging views about how things should happen and some people just left they didn't want to work cooperative they thought they had a better way of doing things but i guess the success of that was still that it did bring the industry together and that all of those growers that have since left the cooperative still package their bananas into our bag, label it as lunchbox. And so even they're not in the Sweeter Banana Cooperative brand, they're all doing the same things. So whilst they're not members of the cooperative, they're still part of the industry and they're still benefiting from everything that we do in terms of marketing. So I guess if you think the purpose of the cooperative was to save the banana industry in Carnarvon, those members that aren't even in it are still benefiting from that. And I guess we don't need to tell you anything about just how rugged and robust an individual farmers can be, even when they are part of a bigger group. Uh, they have extremely strong opinions about, uh, about things and don't mind expressing them. 
Yeah, look, I mean, we, um, we, we do laugh because, you know, there were fights and there were literally, there were literally punch-ups, which, you know, happen from time to time when people get very passionate about things. But that good, robust discussion also helps to, you know, people are passionate about their industry. So it's a lot calmer now. Now that we have very committed members who share the same vision and are committed to the same direction, things are a lot easier within the cooperative. But certainly getting everybody involved in the early days, you know, there's always going to be conflict. So sometimes I think you can't expect everybody to be a member of the co-op. Some people are, are not going to be in there, but it doesn't mean it won't work. It's You're better working with the people that are committed and are looking at the same end result as all the other fellow members and then you can actually take risks in because people have the same end goals and have the same vision and are supportive of the process. And did the founding members, did they quickly latch on to the Sweeter Banana brand and logo idea? Was that, did they get unanimity over that one? Yeah, they did. And and, um, and actually, the original brand was developed by one of our growers, which is one of the other great things about a cooperative is that you bring lots of people into the business that maybe wouldn't necessarily be involved. I mean, if you look at farmers, generally, you will all assume a farmer is a male when we know that's not true. Family farm, farms mm. have a husband and a wife. And what happened with the cooperative is everybody came on board. So you had children, um, you had partners, wives that also got involved in bringing their skill sets to the co-op. And uh, yeah, so the brand was developed by one of our growers, Maxine, and everybody loved it. And we still, we revamp it and we update it and we're still modifying it because now we have to look at it on a tiny little phone. Whereas in the old days, it was only on you know the side of the packing shed and on a package, but everyone still recognises it. And we're actually just in the process of getting big signs for all our farms across the river because everyone's pretty proud to be a member and show that they're a member of the cooperative. And in terms of it's a product primarily, I guess, uh, aimed at the domestic WA market, but do some of your bananas find their way over east? And how do, how do banana growers in other parts of Australia respond to um, this product differentiation? Because as you said, for just all intents and purposes, a banana is a banana everywhere else. Well, it's quite interesting. We, we don't send bananas to the East Coast. When we started um, doing uh, the lunchbox banana, the perception in the industry was that bananas in a bag were the ones that were the odd old ones. You know, you go into the supermarket and all the manky old rotten bananas get put in a bag with a dollar sticker on it. So that was the perception of bananas in a package at, at that time. The industry's now completely changed. And if you go into retail now, you will see Queensland bananas in packages called lunchbox bananas. You'll see bananas with bands around them, little nanas. So I think we have, in a Way, led the way in proving to retailers that people will buy a smaller banana and um, will buy a packaged banana. We developed a product called Smoothies in 2010, which was bananas that were perfect for smoothies. These were bananas we would have thrown out and that product is still going strong today. So I think we led the way and we changed the market. It may have happened anyway, but certainly when, when I look in the shops, I think, well, that's, you know, that we led that and uh, yeah, we're still, we're still trying to lead. But yeah, Look, the, the Queens, I've got, you know, lots you know, lots of people that are growers in Queensland. They're all lovely people and they're all very supportive of what we're all doing to promote the banana industry. I mean, these days they, they dip one of the ends in red wax, don't they? For Is there an agronomic or life, you know, shelf life reason for that or is it just, uh, just marks it out as being slightly different in the market? 
Yeah, I think that probably that there may be some benefit and obviously um, in protecting the banana a little bit, but the main idea of that one was that was a marketing push and by the ski archers that are, they have the eco bananas there. So and that's just another way of that group of growers differentiating how they grow bananas and promoting that as a different thing. So it's good. I think it's good. It gives consumers choice and it the age that we live in now, people want to know a lot more about their food. They want to know how it's grown, you know, where it came from, all of that. And it's really good. The banana industry is really in the forefront of doing that. Well, let's drill down a little into the Sweeter Banana Cooperative. Initially, it was a, a simple cooperative, but its structure seems to have moved on to one that more closely aligns benefits received by members to the profits and costs that each brings uh, to the business. What is the structure of your cooperative? Okay, so we have, um, obviously, all our members are growers, so you have to be a grower to be a member. And in the early days, it was just branding. It was about, you know, you can use this brand. But what we found was that if people, everyone has different standards when they're packing in their packing sheds. So what I might say is a first grade, somebody else might say is a second. So even though we had one brand, we didn't have a consistent product. So back in 2002, we opened the banana packing shed and all of our members need to have their bananas packed through the packing shed. And what that enables us to do is not just have a brand but to have consistency of product quality quality standards and from that point we can also do the marketing so we know that we can go to the market with an offer of how many bananas we have get a price and we basically pack to order everything is packed before it's retail market before it leaves the packing shed and we make the decisions based on the volumes we have on what price we will take and where that product's going to go and then the returns are distributed to members in line with how many cartons of first grade or second grade they've sent in. So we take away a lot of the pain from the growers in terms of that they just focus on the growing side, they harvest the big bunches, and then we take care of it from that point on. So we do all the grading, we have all the quality assurances and all the certifications that you need to service the major retailers. And we also are able to service major retailers because we can have a consistent volume, which as individual small family run farms in our region, very small they wouldn't be able to do that so yeah so that's another benefit and then from that we also then do all of the marketing so it's pretty much integrated sort of through the supply chain and we do evaluating as well and that's something else that we're looking to expand into because we we just want to make sure that every single banana we grow is sold it doesn't end up back in the paddock as fertilizer because it's um, there's so much waste in food production and being a co-op we can actually spend time doing that and remind us again uh, how many members you started with and how many you you have today? Well, we had about 50 members at the very beginning. So everybody on the river that was a banana grower came in. We now have 18, but we have about 60% of the production. So we still have the majority of the production and everyone benefits from us being here because we're still promoting those Carnarvon bananas, even though it's in a different package. If the supermarkets can't get ours, they'll get someone else's from Carnarvon and we're still creating that market. And... As you've indicated, the flow-on effect of a successful cooperative is that even people who aren't members of it benefit from it, and uh, yep. and in, and indeed you lift you lift the overall standard of, of the product that you're producing, and I guess that spills over into labour issues and a whole range of other things as well. You're a, you're an industry leader in your in your part of the world. Yeah, that's right. R and D. You know, and, and wherever we go, the rest of the industry tends to follow, and that's still a good thing. So, yeah, I guess sometimes we get it. You know, it's a bit 
annoying when we think, well, we're spending all this money doing marketing. But in other ways, you say, well, the purpose of the cooperative was to save the banana industry and that's what it does. And we know that without us being here and without us doing that consolidation of, you know, more than 50% of the volume, it, um, it wouldn't be working as it is now. Now, you alluded earlier to some lively exchanges when, uh, when there were differences of opinion. On a serious level, how do you keep everybody on the same page and, and, and heading in the, in the same direction? Has that really called on some extra skills to be developed? And how does that work in practice? It's skills and it's also systems, so making sure you have the right systems in place. So communication is obviously important, having regular get-togethers, but also transparency in the way you do things with your accounting. We have an intranet site so our growers can log in and see what we sold, who we sold it to, what price we had each week. They can see how much of they we packed for them, how many firsts, how many seconds, all of those things. They can see yeah, the, the retail market, what's going on there. So it's a very, very, and all, all the associated costs, how much it's costing them for their carton, their freight, all of those things. It's very, very, very transparent. So that's one thing. You've got to have like, tr you have to have trust. And so to have that, you've got to have transparency. And the other thing we do is we um, have obviously regular meetings every couple of months, have a barbecue at one of the farms, have a walk around, look at what's going on, talk about what's new and what's going on in the industry. And I guess the other key thing is it's it's because it's a, it's it's the growers cooperative, so they make the decisions on the long-term vision. So we have a strategic plan, which is a, a five-year rolling plan, but every, every year we get together and we get about 80% of our growers come for a day, a planning day, sometimes it's a day, sometimes half a day, put on a nice lunch and we go through the strategic plan. We look at what we've achieved. We look at what we're planning to do in the next four years. Is that still relevant? Do we need to reset targets? And everybody has a say and everybody buys into that. And then it's pretty much then left to the management to go away and implement that. So the board uh, manages the management and regularly we regularly report. But I think two things. One is transparency, that direction. But the other thing is not having the member growers too involved in the day-to-day -day running, leaving that to the people that you've employed as well So and trusting us with that. So, yeah, it, it works pretty well. We still have robust discussions, but we've had very, very consistent membership sort of for the last sort of eight years. We really, we've had new people coming on or we've had a couple that have sort of retired or left town, but certainly there hasn't been any walkouts saying, oh, that's it, I'm not packing my bananas here anymore so we're talking with pete lewis and doriana mangili of the sweeter banana cooperative as we learn the secrets behind the success of their co-op story don't forget you can watch this as a video on our website as our cooperative farming podcast series continues and what's and what was your story what 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 skill set did you bring uh, when you arrived it wasn't wasn't directly in uh, necessary in this line of work was it no, I was a I was a business analyst. So I was working in the United Kingdom. Actually, I worked for National Mutual in Australia, and then I went to work for them in the United Kingdom. And so I worked in financial services, doing business analysis and implementing um, IT systems and training and change management. So I had yeah completely a skill set that I never thought that I would use when I bought a banana farm. But I went to my first strategic planning meeting and came out with a million ideas of what we should be doing and and got involved. And I think. 
that's probably one of the best things about moving, you know, from somewhere like the the United Kingdom back to Australia and then moving to a regional area and thinking, oh, I'm never going to use my skills again. And then finding that in farming, there's just such a need. It's a business like any other business. And those business skills are really important. And whilst we have a lot of growers who are really, really experienced at growing. They didn't have some of the experiences and, and knowledge and skills that I had. So, um, as and, and again, because we're a cooperative, I got managed to get involved. So, and that wouldn't happen if we were all working on our own individual farms. Well, as, as you've said, there are few places as, as wonderful to farm and to frankly live as, uh, as the Gascoigne region and, and Carnarvon. But every once in a while, the weather gods turn very sharply on that part of Australia, don't they? And uh, you have dramatic cyclones, droughts, and all those kinds of challenges, which really tend to upset that whole apple cart of strategies for years or otherwise. Yeah, that's, it's part and parcel of farming, unfortunately, in Australia. And I think it's probably going to become an even greater issue, um, certainly you can't do much about the weather. All you can do is plan for it. So I, as, a, as a co-op, we have got strategies in place to make sure that we have income there for those times. Like happened in 2015, we had a 100% wipeout in a cyclone, but we managed to continue and keep, keep employed our key staff, keep all our overheads covered, and then um, we're able to, once the production came back on 15 months later, get back into the co- and pick up where we left off, as you say. So, we, you know, and that those issues are, for, you know, all farmers face those issues across Australia, but at least working together, you can start to put some of those business strategies in place, contingency plans, savings accounts, and all those things to make sure that you're in a good position when things go right, which they eventually do. Well, I think, I think one of the strategies strategies you employ will certainly prick up ears in other parts of Australia. Tell us a little bit more about the mutual risk pool that ensures your farmers in the case of a crop failure. Yeah, so this is a Carnarvon banana industry fund. So all growers in Carnarvon are able to participate in that. It's a self-insurance fund. It was started in the 1960s. Actually, Tom Day, who was one of our previous chairs and one of our founding members, it was his father, who was a banana grower at the time, that that uh, went to the government after two years in a row of terrible cyclones, which wiped out the industry and said, why don't we have a fund, we put money in, and then when there's a disaster, there's some money there to um, help people get back on their feet. And the government thought it was a good idea. So initially, uh, it was co-funded, so matched contribution from industry and government until about the 1980s. And then the matched contribution stopped and the, the fund went into industry hands, and it still continues today. So it's run by the banana growing industry in Carnarvon. It's optional to join but everybody does and as happened in 2015 and as just happened a few weeks ago if you have uh, more than 15% of damage across your crop due to a, a weather event you, there's a compensation fund and you get paid based on what your plantings are what your average production has been for the past few years and, and in effect compensated a small amount not as much as you would have if you'd grown that fruit and, and packed it but it's enough to get you back on your feet get you replanted and keep you going a little bit until um, the, the crops come on and I think it's it's amazing and and it's a one of a kind I don't think there are any other funds um, in the world that that are totally run by farmers um, and it means we're not putting our hand out to government for support when things happen because we're we're self-insured. Well as I say I think there'll be a lot of other uh, uh, people who hear and see this uh, who'll be 
very intrigued, and you'll probably be you'll probably be fending off all sorts of inquiries uh, <laughs> over the next weeks and months to explain how it works and how they can fund it. Now, obviously, there are a whole lot of other challenges uh, for making the banana business work from market situations and pests and disease and so forth. What are your farmers up against? What's the what are the significant uh, challenges in the Gascoigne? Uh, well, the, it's it's. I think in horticulture, it's always the fact that your cost of production bears no relation to the price that you get, and it's a highly competitive uh, commodity market. You can market as much as you want, but if uh, your competitor's product or uh, even another product that's say not a banana, let's say mandarins are very cheap and they're down to a dollar a bag, which is less than what they would cost to produce, then we become relatively expensive and consumers uh, choose to buy that product because it's cheaper. And I think that's a, that's a real challenge for all of uh, farming, that, that the perception in the marketplace about the value of horticulture projects does not relate back to the growing costs. So that, that's, a, that's a big concern and that can only be overcome by education and more, more um, sessions like this where people can tune in and listen to what farmers have to say. So that's probably our, one of our biggest issues, um, the cost of water and, you know, climate change and uh, weather, more weather events are obviously a big concern. And look, you, um, you're in a delightful part of the world, but it is not exactly on the beaten track. How do you go identifying sourcing labour and keeping it when you need it? Yeah, it's always been uh, pretty good for us. We're pretty, we're, we're a good place to work because we're undercover, so people don't have to work in the hot sun in a field when mm. you're working for the Sweater Banana Cooperative. We have a nice packing shed with fans and keep it cool. But we rely, we have about fifty percent of our workforce is local, and the other fifty percent is, um, it tends to be, uh, you know, backpackers, the visa holders that come and work and travel in Australia so and they've been fantastic so and we've had so many that want to stay and we've been able to sponsor a couple um, but yeah it, it is um it's always difficult getting Australians interested to move to remote areas and, and do farming so we're a little bit concerned as to what might happen in the next few months without those um, travellers around and obviously farming is also seasonal so we have the challenges that we'll have 50 hours work a week in summer but we may only have 25 in winter because of the seasonal nature so um, and that sort of uh, working holiday maker visa people that they fit very well into that because they're happy to come for a few months and then travel on and have a holiday in Coral Bay and then continue to broom and head somewhere else yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of the things that we've noticed um, over the past few months, and we've mentioned it in just about every episode, that as a commodity sector, agriculture's probably performed as well as any sector uh, in the Australian economy and has stepped up and provided the food that was required, despite occasionally uh, people going into supermarkets and stripping everything. Would it be nice to think that not only consumers, but policymakers and government sort of uh, respond to that, pick up issues like working visas and other ways of, um, I guess, acknowledging the, uh, the the role farmers and farming and food production uh, have made over the past six months? Yeah, it was quite nice to feel really special um, during COVID and for people from the government to be uh, ringing us and asking us 
what business continuity plans did we have, what did we need to do to keep production going and being very keen to ensure that the food chain still worked. Um, and that was, it was uh, really lovely to sit back and, and not just for us, but also um, people like truck drivers who are so important in Australia that if we, if we didn't have truck drivers, um, and it's probably the most underrated job, but we would have no food. We really, literally would not function. You know, Australia stops without truck drivers. So it was very gratifying, I think, to feel that government was taking notice. And what we have found is, um, you know, especially here in WA, the West Australian government set up a reference group and invited us, uh, lots of different sectors from horticulture and other primary production areas on. And those meetings were every week. Um, they're now every month. But the conversation is still going and we're having this ongoing discussion about what the issues are. So I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for everybody. It's been really nice to feel that the industry is valued and we do play a really important role. And of course, we we were an industry that kept going, kept working, kept employing people and kept creating economic benefit as well as feeding people. So it's nice mm. to be recognised. The, the uh, Sweeter Bananas um, were among a, a, a group of um, West Australian producers who were able to leverage the State Department of Primary Industries and Regional Developments by West Eat Best uh, brand to market to your significant market, West Australians. Um, how important is to have that behind you to um, to sort of further differentiate your product, um, you know, at retail? Yeah, it's, it's um, the Buy West Eat Best brand. It's just another form of collaboration. So um, we have been members since it founded, and I just can think of no better way of um, promoting your brand than to group together with a whole other um, bunch of like-minded people, whether they make preserves, their beef or seafood, um, that can you all unite under one logo that says this is Western Australians. And, um, you know, as you say, Western Australians are very parochial. We like to, <laughs> we're a little bit different. I'm sure we'd like to secede sometimes, but so people like to know what's local. And um, we've invested a lot in Buy West Eat Bass. We've um, been a co-investor in TV ads and um, totally believe that because Again, under a collaborative marketing arrangement, like every time someone picks up your product, so if we sell 2 million banana bags a year with that brand on it, every time somebody sees that logo, it's imprinting in their brain. And if they see it on the lady who does, you know, 50 jars of honey a week, they're still remembering that. So it really, really works. I think there should be more of it. And whether local means like WA or your local farmer's market or Australian, it's really important that we invest in promoting what's good about that. And, um, you know, if it's local, generally it's fresh and it's been a really good good thing for us and we wholly support it. It's, it, it's given you the confidence, you talk about investment, it's given you the confidence to invest uh, in some new technology and new products and uh, new cold stores. How important was that to put a, a foundation into what you're doing and where you're heading? Yeah, well the, the, I mean, the, um, the cool chain stuff was really interesting because we would, we'd always been told that our um, bananas didn't last as long as uh, the tropical bananas and that, that because they've got very thin skins and they do mark very easily, but we were told that, that they just, you know, they just don't perform as well. And again, because we're a co-op, we're able to then look at that as a problem, invest some R&D and see what, whether we could fix this. And what we found was with the right processes in place, we could extend our shelf life from one to two days, which is how long it lasts in the consumer's fruit bowl, 
to five to six days, which is the same as tropical bananas. And um, so that's been a really big impact, I think, because people are going to buy your product more if they've got confidence that it's going to last a long time and and they'll come back and purchase it again. So that's been a a big investment for us. And we were able to, as I said, extend that shelf life, which is fantastic. And was it was it a, like uh, tough for the co-op to to go out and and find the finance to do that to undertake that? Was that a, a big leap of faith for you? It was a big decision, but it wasn't a leap of faith because once we saw the results, we knew that that would help us to sell more products. So, and we utilised the West Australian government the cooperative loan system, which is a great fund that uh, you borrow the money it's at commercial rate a bank underwrites it so it's not um it's not easy money you have to go through the same processes that you would to borrow money from anybody you've got to have a business case you've got to be able to repay it pay interest and you pay a guarantee fee to the bank but it allows your tax uh, your capital repayments to be tax deductible so that's a, a really good way of cooperatives building capital because you're not paying tax on the on the capital repayment and Therefore, you can grow your asset base and then be able to do the next thing. So we're really happy with the results of that. Diane, it's fair to say that many co-ops succeed or fail because of the sweat equity that's involved. What social value is created through your cooperative and what about the equality of voice and the collective decision making? Well, obviously, one member, one vote is uh, is really important for everybody to have that ownership of what goes on in the cooperative. The strategic planning that we we do and get everybody engaged in means that everyone's got a had input and has ownership of the goals and aims of of the co-op. From the social value, I mean, we're Carnarvon, people from Carnarvon and people that have ever lived in Carnarvon feel a very strong loyalty to the cooperative. So whenever we do promotion, we, um, you know, using social media, we'll get thousands of people commenting and saying, I used to live in Carnarvon, best place, these are the best bananas, my hometown. They're very proud of this product. So uh, even though we're not processing all the bananas in Carnarvon, everybody associates the brand with Carnarvon. So it gives people a sense of pride from the local perspective we're able to do things like food donations to schools and and programs and things like that we're always getting asked for it gives people a point I guess to come to and ask for sponsorship and able to so industry can get involved in community and then within our own community farming can be quite a lonely business you're generally you know stuck on your own farm Um, you don't have colleagues work colleagues like people do in offices so the co-op gives everybody the opportunity to get together and talk to someone else about the issues common issues that you have in your business whether it's water whether it's you know a pest or whether it's the weather or how whatever it is um it it gives you that sense of community within the community and it must give you a big kick when you do go and venture to uh periodically to perth major events and see the the sweeter banana banner flying high at that magnificent new stadium of yours (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty nice. We have we are hosting the grand final, obviously, according to our premier. <laughs> now we're in the home stretch essentially, but we cannot obviously finish our discussion without talking about how the uh, pandemic has affected you or not affected you. Uh, how has twenty? It certainly twenty twenty would not have panned out the way you had planned it uh, this time last year. How how has it been? What and and how has it affected what you do? Yeah, it's been a really strange year. So we, in January, when we first became aware of what was going on in China, we, we did put in some processes to screen travellers and closed our packing shed off to any visitors, stopped having visitors just as a precaution, thinking that we were really 
reacting and being a bit over the top. But um, as it turns out, that was probably a good move. The shutdown, we went from people literally panic buying bananas. So people were, and they, I mean, we've discussed they only last for five days. So I, I don't know <laughs> why people were panic buying bananas, but people did and we could just couldn't keep up with. So we ended up with high prices and high volumes, which is complete opposite of what normally happens. And then we um, ended up in April with virtually nobody going out, none of the kids at school and nobody buying bananas. We had to completely rethink how we were doing that. So we started doing more green bananas so that people had limited shopping opportunities. They could buy one green and one ripe because we felt that people weren't going to the shops as often, which was turned out to be correct. We had to put a lot of processes in, obviously, in our packing sheds, social distancing, split shifts, split breaks, things that were really hard for the staff to do to take, deal with because, um, you know, we have lots of shared morning teas and it's a very social place to work. So that made it quite difficult and we're still having to do that to protect the business and make sure that we're um we're not vulnerable if somebody does contract COVID so I guess it's been um it's been a really strange time and then in in May we had a late season cyclone they didn't call it a cyclone but we had 120 kilometer an hour wind so that's pretty strong and uh, we lost quite a large percentage of our crop which was um yeah just as things were starting to get back to normal (laughs) So that was our new normal. So look, I think you've just made us realise that we have to be just got to be so responsive and see what's going on in the market. But again, having the cooperative structure around, you're quite connected because we are sort of that vertically integrated organisation. We're talking to the markets, we're talking to retailers, and we're getting that information. We can make those decisions quite quickly. Banana bread apparently was the most searched recipe (laughs) during the lockdowns. That's probably because everybody panicked, bought too many bananas. So that's good. Yeah, bananas and toilet paper. Clearly, <laughs> um, looking back over the journey, what's what do you think's the biggest take-home lesson, or what's the best uh, advice you could maybe pass on to people who are involved in co-ops or thinking about it? Farming's really tough. It's a, it's an industry where so much is against you. You have the weather. You know, lack of rain, too much rain. It there's just pest and disease. There are so many external issues. In some instances, it's access to markets, um, retailers, all of those things. Um, so many challenges. Uh, certifications that the regulatory framework of farming is getting harder and harder. Um, more and more paperwork, which lots of people go into farming because they didn't like paperwork, are finding that they're getting more than ever. Working together with your fellow growers, people in your industry that are doing the same thing makes so much sense because at the end of the day, we're, you're not competing against each other. The threats are coming from all sorts of other places and working cooperatively allows you to harness all the skills, all the benefits of the membership to work together to that common goal because we all want the same thing. We want to have profitable, sustainable, long-term businesses. And I think that for me, um, I wouldn't be in farming if it wasn't for the cooperative. I could never have just stepped from what I was doing into a, a farm. The cooperative made it easy for me. And it, I think we should all be doing a lot more of it and not seeing our neighbours as competitors, that we should be all working together to try and achieve that com- those common goals. Very good tip. But for now, grazie mille, Doriana. We really appreciate the story. It's a, it's a fascinating story. The lunchbox banana developed up there and successfully marketed right throughout Western Australia from Carnarvon. So we really appreciate your input to that. For the time being, thanks for joining us. Catch up with you next time. The Suite of Bananas story really demonstrates how a cooperative can unite a community of producers to work together to overcome adversity. Don't forget to subscribe now to the series and rate us. 
And I hope you're inspired to find out more about the fantastic benefits of cooperative farming and how to realise the incredible potential for your business. We have some insightful videos at our website and conversations with other farmers about how they're transforming their businesses by working together. You'll learn the benefits, tips and techniques of cooperatives as we future-proof Aussie farmers. Join us at coopfarming.coop. And in our next podcast, we talk to Natalie Browning of Cooperative Bulk Handling, or CBH. Um, I'm sitting at the boardroom table. That's what led me to become a director, was during the last um, corporatisation bid. I really wanted to get involved um, and protect the co-op structure. I, I think any other structure will, will lead to rising costs um, because the... The business suddenly changes to becoming from becoming value driven to return value to the growers. It, it, it pivots to become a profit generating business to give profits to external shareholders. Um, the only reason, the only way those profits can be generated are from um, increasing cost to growers. Remember, in a challenging world, we're all better together. I'm Melina Morrison. Thanks for listening.